Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to episode 342 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, and this will be the last episode of the show for the year of 2022. It has just flown by, and we had a lot of good stuff this year. I know, you know, me and my life, obviously, some wonderful, wonderful things happen. It's been a up and down year, though, you know, in my life. There's been so much challenges, but there's been some great things. But overall, in the boxing world, uh, there's been some big disappointments, but some memorable moments as well, right? And we could talk about all that. want to remind you guys, again, this is the last show of the year. But that doesn't mean that this will be my last post of the year. I'll be active on my Twitter and all that stuff, as I always am. And you guys, if you're not following me on Instagram or Facebook, uh, you guys can follow me there. I tend to post a little bit more personal stuff over there uh, on Instagram. At least I'm trying to start to now. Uh, more, you know, family stuff and things like that over there. I, if I do it on Twitter, the activist asshole degenerates get a hold of it and go nuts and say all kinds of nasty stuff. So I just try to keep it to just trolling and boxing on Twitter. Anyway. Make sure you follow me, Montero Unboxing. Uh, same thing here on YouTube, Montero Unboxing, of course. And, um, you know, if, if you can't watch the live video, we go live every Monday, 5 p.m. Eastern. You guys can always listen to the podcast. You know that. Make sure that you look for it and pay the fee, right? Spread the word about the show, whether you spread the YouTube video, my Twitter, my whatever podcast platform you watch on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever. Just spread the word. That's all I ask. All right, guys. So um, over the next couple of weeks, you know, maybe I'll jump on once or twice, depending on how things go. And we'll do a live video or two and just um, chop it up and just talk about some year end stuff. Other than that, today, we're just going to do the regular show, man. News, notes, and then review, preview. There's nothing going on this weekend, but we got some stuff over the next two to three weeks where I won't be doing TNC. So I'll do a quick preview of some things coming up in the next few weeks. This show will come back on in January, whether it's the first or second week of January. I don't know yet. Probably the second week, but we'll be back. So no worries. We ain't going nowhere. Uh, if you're on right now, make sure that you smash that like button and uh, let me know what's up. Alexander says, I think pound for pound number one, A, number one A is in a way a 1B is Tank Davis, LOL. Ha, let's see what you did there. Yeah, we'll talk about that in just a second. And then uh, James Burrell says, anyway, got to stop ducking Stephen Fulton. Yo, oh, we're going to talk about that in a second. So we're going to have a big talk about Naomi in a way. Let's get right into this. Well, actually, 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 let me slow down. Getting a little ahead of myself. Quick news item. Just want to uh, drop this. And um, I don't know, something to think about. Because maybe this is a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I don't quite know how to process this, okay? So Ryan Garcia, King Rye, he had a tune-up fight against Mercito Gesta Hesta that was scheduled in uh, January. And uh, you know, if you believe the reports, this was for him to keep pace with Gervonta Davis, who has a pay-per-view that he's headlining in January as well. And the, the those two, because these were showcase fights for both of them, that they should win, that have huge odds in their favor. Ryan Garcia, Javante Davis are supposed to fight in April. That's the date being thrown around. Although Javante Davis has several court dates and it's way up in the air, there's nothing confirmed. Those were the reports put out by the typical clickbait type of guys, right? And that 
story that broke was kind of used to market Gervonta Davis's upcoming uh, pay-per-view fight, which I'll talk about here on the show in the preview section, because that's right at the beginning of January. But back to Garcia. He was supposed to fight Mercito Hesta, and like I said, keep in pace, tune-up fight, get him prepared for Tink. He has said, I'm out. I'm not doing that fight. And what he has publicly said, you know, the reasoning behind it is that he wants to focus on big fights. It's quote-unquote not about the money. <laughs> he wants to focus on the big fights, and therefore he doesn't need this tune-up. He just wants to go right into the Javante Davis fight. So the pessimist and the, <laughs> I don't know, the curmudgeon in me looks at this and says, I, it's really hard to believe Ryan Garcia. First of all, you know, it's not about the money, but you're the one who held out to, in, during contract renegotiations with Golden Boy a couple years back to get this big old deal. You've pulled out of fights recently, uh, citing mental health issues. And then a week or two later, there were pictures of you with your lady friend there on the beach, you know, hanging out and stuff. It's not like you were in rehab somewhere working on something. Um, so so th there is a checkered past here with Ryan Garcia, right? Also, everything I just stated about the Javante Davis fight, we know he's going to fight in January against um, Hector Luis Garcia, right? Another guy is br bringing up in weight to look at against. But after that, he does have court dates. Now, do I expect him to do any jail time? No. Rich people in this country don't do jail time, at least most of the time, when they get in trouble, especially athletes with well-connected people uh, representing them. So I think he's going to walk, but there might be some community service charges um, or some, um, I don't know, um, what's, what am I, oh, I can't think of the damn word. Oh, I can't think today. I'm so freaking tired. Probation, something like that, right? Uh, it, it's, it may be something like that could limit his ability to travel, to fight in particular jurisdictions or something, but I highly doubt it. Uh, I still expect after all of the court dates and all those issues for his career to move forward, but you never know. And obviously, if you're the promotion and you're all the ticket brokers involved and all the sponsors and the hotel and everybody else, the casino buying in, you're not going to drop a dime of money until you know for sure that all that legal stuff is taken care of. So the situation between Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia is still very much up in the air. So for Ryan Garcia to walk out of the Marcito Hesta fight, for the Tank Davis fight, even though it's still, again, not official, and we don't know if it's even going to happen, and or when it does happen, I certainly don't think it's happening in April. That would be like best case scenario. And how often does that happen in boxing? So that's why this looks strange to me. It just looks bizarre. Ryan Garcia did fight a couple times this year. He made a little bit of money, pocketed that cash. He's good. He, he's flush right now, right? He, he's not hurting for money. But Man, you don't know if that Tank Davis fight's happening. And if it does happen, it might not happen till the fall. So Tank is getting his first fight in in January. He's getting that fight in, and he's going to stay busy. He's going to make a little bit of cash. He's going to knock some rust off, right? Because I think he only fought once this year in 2022. So he'll be right on pace with what he's been doing anyway, right? So if the fight with Ryan Garcia doesn't happen, it's really not a big deal for him next year.
him and you know they they got a business plan over there what they're doing so i don't know man um i look at fighters from the past though and i try not to be that guy that looks at fighters today and compares them to fighters of yesterday and you know all that but you have to sometimes and it's not like I'm going to compare Ryan Garcia to fighters from 80 years ago. I'm just going to compare him to the previous generation. When guys had tune-up fights, generally speaking, they'd do the damn tune-up fight for, for multiple reasons, multiple reasons. I mean, in the case of Canelo Alvarez, let's say, before his fight with Golovkin, he did that fight with Chavez. And that was nothing more than a money-making thing, but it got his promotional company in the black it, it it got him rounds and it served as a commercial for the fight with Golovkin because Golovkin was there in the house. He, he, you know, after the fight, he came into the ring, that whole thing. And it was smart for him to go forward with that Chavez fight. It, it was a tune-up, even though it was pay-per-view and everything else, it was seen as a tune-up fight, right? There are a million examples I could point to. I don't have to go back 30, 40 years. I could go back just a few years, plenty of examples of this. And I mean, I think it's smart for Tank Davis to go forward with his fight, uh, with his tune-up fight. He has a little bit different of a situation because, again, he could end up doing six months in jail. I mean, Floyd Mayweather ultimately did some time in jail for, for domestic abuse. So perhaps Tank Davis will do a few months of jail time or something, and he wants to get some money in his pocket before that happens. Ryan Garcia is in somewhat of a different situation. I just, it's strange to me that he pull out of this fight. I don't know what to think about it. Curious what you guys think about it. But um, to me, it just looks strange. It just looks strange. And it just, more and more and more, it just, it feels like these guys just don't want to fight these days. They just don't want to freaking fight. All right. <clears throat> fight review time. Let's talk about uh, some monster. And then we had a Showtime card that was pretty fun. All right, Tuesday, December 13th in Tokyo, Naoya Inoue, the monster, gets a KO 11 win over Paul Butler, becomes the undisputed bantamweight champion of the world. This was a complete domination. At the time of the stoppage, uh, Inoue was up 100 to 90 or 10 rounds to zero on all three judges' scorecards, and that wasn't home cooking or anything like that. Those were good scores. Now, is Paul Butler seen as an all-time great is he going to be in the Hall of Fame one day? Obviously not. He's a top 10 rated bantamweight right now. Will he be in the top 10 a couple of years from now? Probably not. I wouldn't put him up there as an elite level fighter or even an A-level fighter, but the quality B-level guy, lower top 10. And he traveled to Japan. He wanted more money, and I guess that's the deal they worked out. In a way, he's a big star over there. So Butler got his money. He 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 fought as absolutely as well as he could have in that situation. He was all defensive, and some people criticize that, but it's like, what the hell do you expect him to do? I think he was happy just to try to last the distance against Inoue, which very few fighters have done recently. And uh, Butler actually went much, much deeper, I think, than any other uh, fighters have against Inoue since he moved up to Bantamweight that I can think of right now, um, since maybe that first Donaire fight. Um, so he, he has like, I guess that's, that's the silver lining for Butler, but overall, yeah, he's defensive. He, he's trying to stay away from probably the hardest hitter in the sport right now. And the most dynamic offensive fighter in the sport, clearly pound for pound. So I don't blame Butler for that. 
Um, he did everything he could, okay? But the debate automatically on social media, particularly boxing Twitter, of course, was, is in a way, pound for pound number one. A lot of people out there actually have him number one pound for pound. So I'll give my thoughts on that in just, just a second. But I think that is it's, – it's worth having a debate there, okay? What is not up for debate anymore is that Inouye is at least in the top five pound for pound. I don't know how any of you out there could not have him in the top five. So to me, that's not even an argument, the argument is the placement, where you want to put them. However, there are some people out there, you guys that follow me on social, you've seen me retweet some of these guys just trolling them, laughing my ass off, who say Inouye hasn't fought anybody. And people will bring up Nonito Donaire. And, and people will say, oh, well, he was he, he's shot to shit, 40 years old. And there's, there's a kernel of truth to that. And I'm going to talk some truth about that in just a minute as well. We're going to, we're going to do a, a deep dive here, okay? But um, he's still a first ballot hall of famer and nobody's flattened him the way Inoue did. Um, it was impressive either way you look at it. It was impressive. Right. But for people to say he hasn't fought anybody and Donaire doesn't count because he's, you know, shot. That's simply just not true. And it, it shows the ignorance. A lot of fans, particularly in the United States, particularly certain YouTube channels and communities. I'm not even going to get into all that. They have two biases. One is size bias. They're size queens, okay? <laughs> they, they only look at fighters that are a certain size or, or, or above. They really don't look at the little guys. And then they're also ethnocentric. They, they just are. They, they tend to only look at American fighters, particularly fighters represented by a particular platform. Um, not all the time, but many times. And they just don't, you know, this guy over in Japan who is mostly fighting over in Japan, well, who cares? He's not fighting American guys here in America, so he must not be very good. That's just the attitude a lot of people have. It, it, it's an ignorance all around. And then further, you know, the size queens, they just don't know who the good little fighters are out there in the sport. They really don't because a lot of the little fighters are non-American. They're from other parts of the world. So let's, I'm going to share my screen real quick. I'm going to bring, bring up Inoue's um, box rec, all right? And I'm going to, here, let me get rid of this banner real quick. Okay. So here's his 2022. He beats Nonito Donaire. Second round TKO, dominated that fight. Then he fights Paul Butler. That goes 11 rounds. So he fought 13 rounds this year, not even 13 full rounds. In fact, he fought what, 11 full rounds and two partial rounds. But all 13 rounds that he spent in the boxing ring this year, in a way, won all of them. He did not lose a round this year, okay? He fought in two title fights. And I'm not talking about regular belts, interim belts, super-duper, blah, 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 blah. These are legit belts. Undisputed championship, lineal, ring magazine, the whole nine. Did not lose a round. I don't know if he lost 10 seconds of a round this year. Seriously. That's domination. Now, he did fight a 40-year-old Nodito Donaire. That is true. And 40 years old for a bantamweight, that is pretty much equivalent to a 50-year-old heavyweight, if we're being fair. 
what Bernard Hopkins did at light heavyweight fighting like at past 50, that's basically what Donaire was doing this year. So it shows you just how good Nonito Donaire is, was. Now, I think Donaire's finished. I think he should retire. Maybe he comes back next year and does one farewell fight, but I don't think he's a top 10 fighter anymore. I, I truly don't. So I don't want to get too carried away with Inoue's victory over Donaire. I want to keep that in perspective. Also, both of these fights were in Japan, where Inoue does have all the advantages, right? So, so when I compare this in a pound-for-pound pound sense, and I'm just looking at 2022, we'll go back in, in just a second, but... When I compare him to Alexander Usyk, and I look at his last two fights against Anthony Joshua, and the concessions Usyk was making, forget about the war for a second, which is massive. I, I, that's massive, right? In a way, I wasn't facing anything like that. But the size difference. Fighting Anthony Joshua, who's 50 pounds naturally larger. Usyk's a 200-pound fighter. People say, well, he's a heavyweight. He's a cruiserweight campaigning at heavyweight. That doesn't make him a natural 21st century heavyweight. He's not. Would he be a heavyweight in the 1970s? Yeah, sure, sure. But this is the 2020s. He has to bulk up to fight at heavyweight where he's still grossly undersized. And fighting Anthony Joshua, who is the second biggest commercial brand in the sport behind Canelo Alvarez, fighting him in his promotional backyard on his terms, right? He gave every single concession. So those two wins over Anthony Joshua, who I do rate higher than Paul Butler and this version of Nonito Donaire, because Anthony Joshua is the third best heavyweight in the world right now. No, fourth best. It's Fury and Usyk. Those are the top two guys. And then right there is Joshua and, um, and Joyce. They're right there. If you want to throw Wilder in there at the bottom of that, that five, okay. So he's a top five heavyweight. I don't think Donito Donaire right now is a top five bantamweight. I just don't. No disrespect to him, but I do think he's past it. And I do think he needs to retire soon, okay? So for those reasons and others, and others, um, I put Usyk at number one pound for pound right now. Number two, I think it might be no, uh, Inouye. In a way, you know, some people might say it's Terrence Bud Crawford, but when I look at what he's done over the last couple of years and I compare that to in a way, Crawford's overall body of work. Okay. That's a different discussion when comparing that to in a way, but they're kind of neck and neck right now for being honest, but I'm going to give in a way the edge recently. And I'm going to, I'm going to put him number two pound for pound. That's how I see it. But Real quick, I want to look at his bantamweight run because a lot of people, I saw somebody tweeting this week, bantamweight is a shit division. It's a terrible division and um, these guys are so bad and he shouldn't get credit, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's basically the same as what Crawford did at 140. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So again, he has not one, but two wins over Donaire, okay? And the first version of Donaire that he fought, that was, guys, that was three years ago. That was in 2019. Okay, that was a much, much more live version of Donaire. And I know that Inoue was injured in that fight, but he still won nine rounds, eight or nine rounds of that fight. I thought it was pretty one-sided. Correct me if I'm wrong. Some people are like, oh, it was a draw. Shut up. No, Inoue won about eight rounds of that fight. And then when you consider he did that with a broken 
orbital bone. How many guys finish a fight with a broken orbital bone, let alone win it and almost have their opponent out? There was a round late in that fight where Donaire was almost knocked out, but the ref kind of handled it in a bizarre way, and it kind of gave Donaire some help, okay? Uh, I just thought that was a great win for, for Inoue against his best opponent at that time. But also, listen, man, that Maloney win has aged fairly well, but the Emmanuel Rodriguez and Juan Carlos Payano fights are highly underrated. A lot of you guys underrate those fights, man. Those wins, I should say. Uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez is a world-class operator. He is a good fighter. He's better than Paul Butler, uh, you know, that level of fighter. And um, once again, Inoue just plowed through him. Just plowed through him. The win over Juan Carlos Payano, that's a first-round knockout, dude. Payano's a good fighter. This, These are all Bantamweights. So, again, let's count these fights here. Um, Inoue moved up in 2018. So, in four years, he beat one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine uh, wins, several of them high-level wins, two of them over a future Hall of Famer, and a guy that's going to go down as one of the best little fighters in the last 50 years in Nonito Donaire. So, uh, just that's a really, really good run for Undisputed. That's a solid run. I don't know how you can look at that and say, yeah, yeah, that's trash. Honestly, I look at that run at 118, and I rate it higher than Jermel Charlo's run at 154. I rate it higher than Canelo Alvarez's run at 168. I do. Obviously, I, it's, it's better than Crawford's run at 140. In a pound-for-pound sense, it's better than those guys' runs. And I could sit here and do an hour-long video explaining why, but those of you who watch or listen to my show every week, you already know the reasons why, because I talk about this stuff all the time. So I think Inouye deserves tremendous credit. The one thing I will hold against him, well, I used to hold two things against him. One, he never unified. He never got undisputed. Well, he has solved that issue. Second thing, though, he kind of skipped over the 115-pound division. And that's something where, to me, the best little fighters in the sport, when I look at 126 and down, the, the best division is 115. It's unparalleled with all the little, little guys. It's a great division. And in a way, he kind of jumped right over that. Now, he said he needed to move up to 118. That's what he needed to do. I think he did have some fights briefly at 115. As you can see, he did win a, a title there, right? While he was at 115, let's look back. I'm scrolling back down here. 2017. Yeah, 2014 through 2017. Dude, he was there for several years. And he never left Japan. Or I'm sorry, he did once. He fought on one of those super flag cards. In America, I was there for that, but he never fought the top guys. And 115 was a loaded division, still is. But at the time, Inoue was in that division. Your Estradas, your Chocolatitos, those guys were really, really high level, high level fighters. So, so we're in and around that weight class. And I really wish Monster would have fought some of them. He didn't. It's too late now because he's at 118. And after this fight, he announced he's going to 122. So I look at that 
And I still sometimes think maybe Terrence Crawford should be two and maybe in a way three, but then I go back and I'm like, yeah, but Crawford hasn't done shit in the last couple of years. He really hasn't. And if I'm looking at who's done more lately, it's clearly in a way. So I have in a way number two right now, cannot put him number one. A lot of people have him number one right now. And I'm like, I can't glance over the fact that dude never fought the best at 115. Real quick, Donito Donaire, coming into this fight with Inoue, between his two fights with Inoue, so 2019, he loses to Inoue, right? Brutal, brutal fight. Fight of the year, candidate. Doesn't fight at all in 2020. No harm there. He was resting. There was the COVID thing. Comes back and has two wins last year that were rated very highly because one of them, he won a world title. However, when you look at the guys he fought, little bit of smoke and mirrors there. And I, listen, I love Nonito Donaire. I'm a huge fan, huge fan. First ballot Hall of Famer in my book. And the one guy that we can all point to and say for certain clean fighter, we know, right? Because he put his money where his mouth was before anyone else in the sport improved it. So he deserves tremendous credit for that. I think he was a real trendsetter. And decades from now, we'll be looking at what he did in a different light. However, he beat Nordin Ubali last May. Ubali has not fought since. So he has not fought, Ubali has not fought since that uh, fourth round knockout loss in over a year and a half. And then Raymar Caballo, his record was just built up. He, you know, he didn't really have many good wins on his resume. So those two wins looked good. He grabbed a title from it, but I, I don't look at that and think, oh, this guy is still operating where he was a decade ago. It's clearly past his best. So great win for Inoue. Great win. All right. I don't want to take it away from him. But for being fair, for being fair, it wasn't the prime version of Donaire that he beat. Just to put things in the perspective, Alexander Usyk beat a prime version of Anthony Joshua twice. That in and of itself is more than what Inoue has done so far. But he also cleaned out the cruiserweight division, just like Inoue did at Bantamweight. And I think Usyk's cruiserweight run was more impressive because he did it on the road and probably against better fighters overall, or probably pretty even in terms of talent on a pound-for-pound scale. And then you look at everything he's done at heavyweight, the Olympic gold medal, I can keep going. You guys get it. You got to say Usyk's number one right now. All right. Um, real quick, 122. There's going to be problems for Inoue because the top fighter at 122 right now is Stephen Fulton, right? And then there's uh, Murajan Akhmadiyalev. There's Raiz Alim. You have um, a couple other decent fighters, but those are like your top three. Those are your top three guys. With Fulton, and obviously that's the fight we want to see. He fights for a particular promotion that doesn't like to play with others. Inoue is represented by top rank here in America. Fulton certainly is not going to travel to Japan. He could get a career high payday if he did that, but he won't do it. It's not on Fulton. It's on his management. So who is Inoue going to fight now at 122? That is going to be a challenge for top rank, a serious challenge. So um, a lot of the fighters at 22 and even 26 are owned by a particular promotion that just does not like to match their guys tough. Um, 
ever. <laughs> so, all right. Um, also, last Saturday, December 17th, TGB Promotions, Samson Boxing, had a card at the Cosmo in Las Vegas. This was on Showtime. In the main event, Frank Martin improves to 17-0 with a unanimous decision win over Michelle Rivera, who uh, dropped his first loss of his career. This was a lightweight fight, 12-round lightweight fight. Frank Martin proved here that he's now a contender. He's a guy – this is two prospects. One guy really, really appears like his resume was built up, some smoke and mirrors there, came in with an O, was completely dominated by the other, who really showed some substance. Frank Martin is a guy to keep an eye on. Now, is he ready to fight the absolute top lightweights in the world? No, I don't know about that. But he's certainly a player. That division right now is loaded, absolutely loaded. If you're PBC and you're not going to make the Ryan Garcia fight for Javante Davis, right? Maybe you could do Javante Davis and Frank Martin or something like that. That would be a lot of fun. Um, there, there's plenty of directions they can go now. But that's a loaded division, and Frank Martin's certainly a player. Looking forward to seeing him again. He has enough pop that's, I guess, to, to get his opponent's respect. He doesn't have game-changing lights-out power, though. That may cost him against the very, very best. But we'll find out. Also, in the co-main, Vladimir Shishkin improves to 14-0. This is a Russian native who now fights and lives out of Detroit. Scored a unanimous decision win over Jose Uzkatagai at super middleweight. So with this fight, I think Shishkin has proved that he is a player at super middleweight, but much like Frank Martin, I think even more so in his case, he has a lack of pop. He has a lack of game changing, fight changing, lights out power. At least he seems to, that's going to cost him against some of the very best. One difference though, one major difference is in that division, for whatever reason, a lot of the guys at super middleweight are just not big punchers. There's some really good defensive and technical fighters at 168. You think of Caleb Plant, Billy Joe Saunders, right? There's not a lot of big power punching super middleweights. And I know Plant just got a knockout of the year contender against Darrell. I get that. He's got pop, but he's not known as a one-punch knockout machine, particularly when he's fighting prime level, you know, elite level guys who are in their prime. And Darrell was certainly nowhere near either of those. So I don't know. Shishkin as a boxer could make for an interesting matchup one day with the likes of a Caleb Plant or a Billy Joe Saunders, those kinds of guys. But the lack of physicality may cost him if he ever fights a Benavidez, somebody like that. And Benavidez isn't a one-punch knockout guy himself. And I do think Shishkin could uh, box circles around him in spots. But style-wise, that would be a very interesting fight. Anyway, for uh, Uzkanta guy, look, th this is a good win for Shishkin. This was just his 14th pro fight. He was in there against a very, very experienced fighter who did at one point hold a piece of a, a super middleweight belt. Um, so this was a good win for him. But I got to say with Uzkanta guy, I I've just never been that high on him as a fighter. I think uh, super middleweight has been one of those divisions that suffered because the management has not matched the best against the best enough. And we haven't got to learn who the best guys really are that much because they just haven't fought each other. In the case of Jose Uscatagai, he has fought some top fighters. When he has, he's pretty much lost. So he had the, the two fights with Darrell, right? And he split those two fights. 
he does have that one win over Darrell. But other than that, dude, he, he fought Matt Van Korboff, Caleb Plant, Lionel Thompson, and now Shishkin. He clearly lost all those fights. He, generally speaking, goes rounds. He's durable, okay? So that's good. He'll give you rounds. He's a durable guy, but he's just not on that level. So good one for Shishkin. Does this mean he's elite, though? No, 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 no. Let's pump the brakes. Let's see what he does when he gets the next step up with a good quality win. All right, so uh, that's what took place there on Saturday in Las Vegas. And let's see, we got a couple super chats. I want to make sure I did not miss them. Uh, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Okay, we got one here from Trent. Thank you so much, Trent. He says, Karen beat Vorobev, gonna give Boots competition. Yeah, so, so Trent did post. Uh, so Jerron Ennis is fighting Karen. I can't remember Karen's last name. And a lot of people, including myself, have been critical of that. Um, Karen is just not known here in the United States. But Trent said that he has watched him and is pretty familiar with him. And he really feels that this fighter is going to give Jerron Endes some competition. He does have a win against Vorobev, a good quality win. I saw those comments, Trent. So um, listen, man, I'll take your word for it, okay? And I'll gladly admit, if I was wrong, It'll be interesting to see, but um, just based on, I don't know, the eye test and everything else, Boots is going to be a big, big betting favorite in that fight going in. But I'm curious, dude, if Karen could give him some challenges, some competition, that's great. That's really, really great. Sam with a super chat. Thank you, Sam. He says, in a way, it's special because he knocks guys out in spectacular fashion. Watching Chocolatito versus Strada was good, but no power at all. Well, yeah, I mean, Chocolatito versus Strada, two Hall of Famers, right? And they're also fighting way above their natural weight, especially Chocolatito. Um, and then style-wise, they know each other so well. So I didn't really expect a knockout with either of those guys. If you look at Chocolatito in his prime, he did have some. And Estrada's had some. But I'm with you. For a little guy, in a way, is different he does seem to have a different kind of punching power. And when we talk about the hardest punchers in the sport, people like to point to Deontay Wilder, right? What's interesting is a lot of the same people that salivate and masturbate over Deontay Wilder's power for flattening guys like Hellenius will criticize a guy like Inouye for destroying the fighters I've mentioned, Emmanuel Rodriguez, Juan Carlos Payano. Nonito Donaire, even though he was well past his best. Now, Paul Butler. Uh, those guys are most certainly much, much better than a lot of the guys Wilder is iced. And unlike Wilder, who does it with one punch, which is a fantastic punch. He's got a cannon in the right hand. He has to throw it for the perfect length. He has to set it up. He has to have his feet planted. He has to be coming forward when he throws it, right? With, in a way, we've seen him hurt guys at mid-range, on the inside, with body punches, right hands, left hands, uppercuts, 45. We've seen him hurt guys throwing all the punches. So it, it does. he does appear to be special. I would love to see him against Stephen Fulton because Stephen Fulton is a guy that talent-wise is a pound-for-pound pound type of talent, right? We look at him and we think, this guy is elite. I certainly think he is. He's clearly the best fighter at junior featherweight. And the only reason he's not on the pound for pound list right now is because he hasn't had a chance to fight Akhmadiyalov, you know, or Raiz Salim. Um, 
if he does and he beats them, boom, he's on the list. And some people may even have him right there at the very end of their list. But that would be Inoue's toughest challenge to date for a multitude of reasons. One, it would be Styles. Second, he'd have to fight Fulton in his backyard because PBC would not allow Fulton to travel. Not for Inoue. Not for Inoue. And um, third, you know, size. Fulton is much, much larger. You know, Inoue started way down the weight scale. So that would be a tremendous challenge. And if he could get a guy like that in the ring and beat him, we're looking at a really, really special fighter. So that's what I think about that. Okay, real quick, guys. Um, real quick preview. Obviously, we got nothing this weekend, right? But Saturday, December 31st, I've talked about this. Tokyo, in their annual tradition, doing the New Year's Eve boxing. Kazuto Ioka defending his WBO 115-pound belt for the sixth time, going up against Joshua Franco, who's defending his WBA version of the title for the third time. Uh, Franco is known for his trilogies with Oscar Negrete, which was at 118, I should mention. So it was a little bit higher in weight. He came back down to 115. And then he had a trilogy with Andrew Maloney. That has aged pretty well. The trilogy with Negrete hasn't really aged all that well, but Maloney's done some good things after that trilogy. Uh, so so that, that's aged pretty well for Franco. It really, really has. Ioka has been fighting high-level opposition for pretty much over a decade. It's all pretty much in Japan, but he's been fighting high-level opposition for a long, long time. So, so as great as those two trilogies were for Franco, where he really learned on the job and grew up in front of our eyes, Ioka is just a world-class operator who's been in there with such, such high-level talent. This is in Tokyo, you have to favor Ioka here, but I want to see what Franco can do. Franco, I think, could give him some real problems, but in the end, I'm going to go with Ioka by decision here to unify two of the belts at 115. And I really, really hope next year we could see Ioka with like Estrada. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I don't know if that can happen, but I think it'd be amazing if it could. And then uh, a week after that, Saturday, January 7th, in Washington, D.C., Showtime pay-per-view. All right. Showtime had a pay-per-view on the 1st this year, January 1st, or maybe it was Fox. Either it was PBC. They're going to make you wait seven days for the first pay-per-view next year, but they're going to continue with that trend. They are not changing anytime soon. Gervonta Tank Davis going up against Hector Luis Garcia, who is a 16-0 fighter, who has fought at 126 for his entire career up until – uh, the middle of last year. So he spent a little bit, maybe over a year, fighting at 130. And um, he upset Chris Colbert in February. Obviously, that was his best win. Very, very good win for him. I think he dropped Colbert in that fight. Colbert was the big favorite coming in. And that's what got him like on the map, right? But as I mentioned before, he's really a featherweight. He's a blown-up featherweight doesn't have power at 130, at least not the kind of power that's really, really going to bother Javante Davis. Make no mistake, this is a showcase fight. They are looking at Hector Luis Garcia the exact same way that Golden Boy Promotions and Ryan Garcia were looking at Mercito Hesta. Same fucking fight. Just one of them's on pay-per-view. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Hector Luis Garcia. I understand he's undefeated. 
I understand he has a win against Chris Colbert, but Javante Davis's team does not take fights like this unless they see something. Okay. So if you're a big Tank Davis fan, you want to spend the 70 bucks or whatever to watch him knock out Garcia. Cool. Have fun. Just Remember what I told you. This is a showcase matchup. I do think Garcia is going to have more success maybe than Raleigh Romero, you know, somebody like that. Uh, he's better than that level of fighter. But in the end, Davis will win and win big. Also on this card, uh, Jerron Boots Ennis fighting that IBF mandatory fight against Karen. Can't remember the last name. Uh, Trent talked about that in the chat. And then uh, Rashidi Ellis, Demetrius Andre, Brandon Lee, and Vito Melnyaki Jr. all in showcase matchups where they will be massive betting favorites and should all win, uh, probably by stoppage. They should anyway. So that's what you're getting over the next few weeks. A little bit of good, a little bit of not so good, eh, but that's what you guys are going to get. All right. And then again, we'll reconvene in January and go over all this stuff. Uh, we'll review these fights I just previewed. And then by then, hopefully we have some more news to talk about what will be coming up in the first quarter of the year. All right. Let's go to, I think it's time for some phone calls. What do you guys think? All right. Wow. We got a bunch guys. I don't know if I'm going to get to all these, but I will get to let's, let's roll through these quickly. All right. But, um, I'll get through as many of these as we can. All right. All right. Uh, five, five, nine. You're on the show. What's up? Hello. Yes, sir. I can hear you, but I hear an echo in the back. So can you turn oh, your yeah, TV down? No, it's yeah. Yeah. It's me, Miguel, bro. Miguel Flores. What's up, Miguel? Yeah. My bad. Cause I was watching your show as I had the phone low. No worries. But then I, yeah, but then I heard the beep. Uh, hey, well, yeah, how, how are you, man? I uh, hope everything's good with you and Tiff and the baby. I'll be seeing your Facebook posts and everything. So yeah, man. It's hard work, bro. I know you're stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good, though, man. It's a good kind of stress. It's not even stress, man. It's just uh, I'm just tired. That's all. But it's getting better. It's getting better. And my family's coming down for Christmas this weekend. Um, they're coming down here. So we'll have a little bit of help. It'll be nice, man. It'll be great. It sounds fun, man. Hope you have a blast. Uh, yeah, I'm just right here chilling, and um, I want to just uh, chime in on a few things because this is the uh, the last show of the year. Um, thank you for all your hard work this year, Mike. I, uh, we we true boxing fans really appreciate it. Uh, your your resume is unparalleled. I mean, you're a boxer yourself and a journalist. Keep it up, bro. It, it, it's hard being real. You know what I mean. Thank you, brother. That means a lot. Um, that means a lot, man. Oh no, yeah, you're you're welcome, bro. You're, you're definitely welcome. Um, I want to um, talk about um, the heavyweight division and how it's promoted. Because, uh, as we all know, things have changed drastically over the years. You know what I mean? As far as um, what you need to do, as far as we need to fight, stuff like that. It's, it's, everything's kind of watered down, I guess you can say. But I mean, it's still boxing, so. I just wanted to like really um, point out a couple of things. Okay, Top Rank has a couple, a few good heavyweights, um, and I, for some odd reason, well, it's not really odd. It's all about marketing and demographics and stuff. But they have Jared Anderson as like this next great thing, right? 
And um, I I do rate him pretty high. First of all, he's a pretty good heavyweight, especially his long range um, right hand. He, he he sets it up pretty good. Like you said, it reminds me of Larry Holmes. But um, man, he I hate to say it, but even top rank, they're like they're biased, dude. Like you have Richard Torres Jr., Mexican American um, heavyweight. And, and even on the pod, even even during the live broadcasts, and even by some of the people on the show, no disrespect to anyone that that had this criticism about him, because hey, we all get caught up in the hype sometimes, you know, about other fighters and how other fighters should look and this and that. But Mike, uh, this is Richard Torres Jr. out of Tulare, California. He uh, he's the first super heavyweight. Olympian since the 1980s and nobody's even talking about that. Nobody. Nobody wants to talk about it because obviously the hype is on uh, Anderson, which is fine. But to us true fans that know what's up, he, he like he he accomplished something that hasn't been accomplished by our country since the 1980s. I think the last person in the 80s was Riddick Bowe or one of them to actually medal, to actually win any type of medal and the super heavyweight division. And I stress the super heavyweight division because in the Olympics, it is his own division. It's 250 pounds plus. Mm. And uh, they're slightly bigger. So, well, not slightly. They're much bigger and much taller than the re- than the regular heavyweights, I guess, that are like, you know, six foot one, six foot, whatever. Now, even on top rank, they don't really acknowledge that. Like, this guy is, is literally a national hero. And I'm gonna straight up say it, but to what people think he should be, he should be appealing to or whatever. He doesn't look like what he's supposed to look like. They don't talk about it, and he doesn't just have an Olympic record. He, this guy has like a a pretty good ass amateur record, man. Um, and the only reason he didn't win gold, he won silver, and he and he he, he went to the cards, and he lost by a narrow margin. The only reason he didn't win gold was because the guy that he was fighting was actually a is is a professional as we speak and was a professional Jalilov. boxer at the time that he went he went to the Olympics because the Olympics they changed the rules a few years ago where pros can fight for medals now. Yeah, dude, he fought kids. he fought Jalilov. You know I, mean? I mean that that's who's yeah. probably the best yeah, heavyweight he was, prospect he, in the world right now. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was he was eight and zero. And still went to the Olympics and fought for amateur gold medal. I, I so so Richard Torres technically should be a gold medalist right now because all the other competitions, and as we watched it on CBS Sports app, dude, he he flattened them. He had the best run out of all of them, even against the winner. He had the best run. He KO'd all of them viciously, and it was fellow Ukrainians uh, of the guy that beat him. He the 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 last the set the the fight before the final one. He completely flattened it, dude. Like, this guy is really, really good. He's not like your average um, heavyweight. He's really, really skilled. And when I say really, okay, look, he's out of Tulare, California. And I'm currently on my comeback right now. I'm leaving Mexico soon to go train, et cetera, et cetera. But I trained with this guy. I never sparred him. <laughs> I'm not up to that level yet to get to spar him. But, um, by the way, I, I trained with him. Like, like, 
But yeah, yeah. I, sh- I should mention he uh, Torres beat Jared Anderson in the 2017 National Golden Gloves. Uh, I mean, bro, let's talk about even, that. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I didn't even I didn't even know that, bro. But I will. I'll say this, brother. So he fought four times this year. Okay, so top rank kept him busy. I think, yeah, if I'm Torres and his team, because he's undersized for this era of heavyweights, he is a little undersized. He's more like Usyk size. But I, dude, I would, I want to be under the radar. Let Anderson have the limelight. Let because there's a, there's going to be pressure that comes with that. And Torres can like kind of be under the radar right now and just work on things, dude. He does go to the body well. No, he's no, aggressive. I, and I, I, you know what I mean? I, I understand that. Yeah, I understand that perspective. Totally fine with that. I'm just saying, it's like when Nacho called back a while back, and um, it's cause, uh, when uh, when everybody was basically disrespecting Martinez, was what we thought is Martinez hate or disrespect. You know what I mean? In my opinion, was was what we thought is Richard Torres Jr. Uh, disrespect. You know what I mean? Hey, look, he, uh, they're all good heavyweights, by the way, and they're all getting. Um, running the mill guys to get through them and build them. That's that's correct. That's true. But what I'm saying is, hey, this is a guy to keep your eye on. Like, I mean, I, I, there's another um, heavyweight prospect. He's actually still the best national uh, heavyweight amateur for like the 20 up to 21 years old, something like that. And uh, Torres flattened him. And this guy used to be my gym partner right here in Fresno. You know, he's, he's much younger than me, but this guy used to give me the run. Like, the, I, I used to have to, you know what I mean, do my very best against this guy, and, and Torres flattens him. You know, this guy's known for flattening guys, and I don't know. I just tell people, hey, look, marketing and promotion, it's, a, it's, a, it's an art form that nobody really likes. But at the end of the day, it's still an art form, and I'm just glad these guys are on the radar. I also want to talk about, anyway... Um, real quick, bro. Real quick, because I got a bunch yeah. of calls. Real, so I hit it real quick. I'm gonna wrap it up. Wrap it up. Yeah, I'm gonna wrap it up. Um, I have him as number one simply for the fact that his body of work and in the time he's done it. That's just simple as that. Because nowadays no one's fighting, and if they do, they get highly. If they do keep fighting, they get criticized for the people they fight. This guy has very underrated wins against those two guys you were talking about, and against Donaire. So. Right now he's number one, and that's about it, Mike. I just want to chime in on that. Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, God bless you and Tiff. Thank you, same to you, brother. Peace. Thank you, boss. Great call from Miguel, as always. Uh, some super chats to catch up on real quick, guys. Papa Chubby, thank you so much. He says, "I think Karen should just be known as Karen. Who cares about his last name?" I, I kind of agree with you, man. Uh, I feel bad. I mean, now I feel like I'm being disrespectful. Let, let me look up his name just to say it here. Um, so, okay. Karen Chakadzian. Karen Chakadzian. All right. There. And he's born in Ukraine and uh, fights out of Germany now. We shall see what he can do. He does have a split decision win over Russian Sergey Vorobev, who came into that fight undefeated. That was in 2020. That fight took place in Russia. So, um, and uh, the, the Russian Vorobev has gone undefeated since. So that's a good win for him. But I don't know. I just don't know how he's going to look against Ennis. Obviously, Ennis is going to be a big, big favorite. Anyway, we got his last name here on the show. 
All right. Uh, super chat from BK Ron. Thank you so much, Ron. He said, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and your family, Mike. Going into 2023, which division is the most stacked and has the most potential in your opinion? Also, that division, who you choose, who you believe will rise to number one. Great questions, man. Uh, thanks again for the super chat. I appreciate it. Um, damn. Well, look, it, it's it's it, there's two things to look at, right? There, there's which division has the most talent, but which division are the top guys actually going to fight each other? So 175 is not the most talented division. But I really do feel that the two top guys may fight each other next year, Bivol and Beterbiev. I think that if there's a very good chance they will fight next year, and that is one of the best, if not the best, fight that you can make in all of boxing right now. It's certainly among the top two or three best fights. And I think that um, the winner of that, I, I mean, they'll be undisputed. They'll be pound for pound in the top five somewhere. I, right now, dude, I'm shading Bivol in that matchup. I know a lot of people like Baturbiev, but at some point that inactivity is going to cost him. Let's see how better be ever Baturbiev, how he looks against Anthony Yard. I think that fight is happening in late January. Then we can properly assess that. In terms of talent, in terms of like young talent, particularly young American talent, 135 is where it is. There's several young, very, very um, talented athletic fighters who, you know, are all undefeated and I want to see them fight each other. The problem is they won't, they won't. But if we got Javante Davis, Devin Haney, Shakur Stevenson, Ryan Garcia, all those guys to fight each other, dude, they, they be, they become stars if they all did like a tournament right now. Also 140. There are some really, really good fighters at 140. That division stacked. You know, people are sleeping on Josh Taylor. I still think he's a top fighter. Regis Progre is back. Tiafima Lopez, I don't know what to think about him, but maybe he'll be a player, maybe not. You know he's going to be in a top fight at some point. And there's some other guys at 140 that I really, really like. Um, also, 122. That's not the strongest division, but at the very top, you've got Inouye, you've got Stephen Fulton, you've got Akbadialev. That's another loaded division. 115 is also loaded. And now, you know, the new the new up-and-coming guy is uh, Bam Rodriguez. And you want to see what he could do. And he had a, an amazing 2022. You want to see what he could do in 2023. So there's several divisions I'm really excited about. I just hope the top guys fight each other. And I don't know if they will. Uh, as far as who will rise to number one, at 75, right now I like Bivol. Um, at, let's see, 140, I'm still riding with Josh Taylor, but he didn't have a very good year, for sure. At 135, man, that's that's a tough one. I might take Shakur Stevenson at 135. And at 122, I'm taking Inouye. 115, I think Bam Rodriguez is the new guy. I think he's a stud, man. I think he's a stud. Okay. Trent Nanaparillo with another super chat. Thank you, Trent. He said, good point. Jalalov, but Torres on a stretcher out cold for minutes. I remember that. That wasn't the Olympics, though, right? That was a couple years before, I think, maybe in the World Championships. Because he fought Jalalov twice and lost. And you're right. He was Torres was flattened by Jalalov. I, I think it was the World Championships, Trent. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. 
But give Torres credit because he had to fight him again in the Olympics and he went the distance. He lost, but he showed improvement. I thought he showed improvement in that fight, that rematch, and he went the distance against a much bigger heavyweight. And Jalalov, um, a lot more experienced at that point and just further along in his development. Again, if I'm Torres, he is undersized and he's going to be overlooked. He he just is. Man, you could either get down the cruiserweight and try to fight there, but if you really don't want to do that and you want to fight as a heavyweight, just float under the radar right now and develop your resume. Build yourself up. Let Anderson get all the hype right now. That's fine. And just build up your resume. Um, But yes, but yeah, Trent, to his point, he said, I came back in the rematch. It was competitive for a silver medal. He's the real prospect. Yeah, I think he's a he's definitely a good prospect to keep an eye on, but I do worry about his size against this era of heavyweights. But top rank develops prospects better than anybody, and they know that they're going to have something with Torres. He's They're going to be able to market the hell out of that kid. I want to say his father's Mexican-American. I don't know his mother's background, but I, I think he has a mixed heritage, which, which um, is going to help market him. And, um, you know, in California, having Mexican heritage, that he's, that's going to help market him there. He's a good-looking kid, too. He looks like he could be a model or something. He's a good-looking kid. So that's going to help him as well. All right. Am I all caught up? Yes, I am. Let's go back to the phones. Holy shit, guys. There's no way I'm getting to all your calls. I'm apologizing in advance. Let's, uh, let's blow through these as quickly as we can. Okay. 336, you're on the show. What's up? Yo, yo, Mike. BLT, what's up, my man? <laughs> yeah, everything's good, man. I just basically, two big events for me this week was in a way, yo, this is a fighter's fighter. I don't care where you put him on the power, brother. He's a fight. Anywhere he fight, anytime he fight, I'm going to watch him. Yeah. And the World Cup final, man. Oh. Man. Fantastic, man. Yeah, it was a good game. Argentina, hey, man. I hey, feel man. feel good for Argentina and Messi. He got his World hey. Cup. I'm happy for him. Yeah. Yeah. That that I, I I was rooting for him because I said, well, France wanted they returned chance let Messi get his World Cup and retire in peace. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a <laughs> good story, man. It, you know, yeah, because Ronaldo ain't get it, so you know. True that. That's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but but uh yeah, man, I ain't gonna trip. Yo, you, uh, whatever you observe, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, whatever to you, Piff. Jacqueline is your daughter's name, right? Yep. Jacqueline Olivia Montero. Yeah. Yep. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yo, yo, you have a fantastic holiday. Have a safe one. Watch the fools out there, man. I'm coming in strong. 2023, though, son. I yo, ain't gonna be playing, man. All right. <laughs> I hope, you, I hope you keep that Peace promise, up, brother. brother. Have a great holidays, man. Yay, thanks, man. I will. Take care, man. All right, ciao. Here he goes, BLT. We love BLT's calls, man. BLT's energy is awesome. And BLT, oh, I forgot to say, because uh, BLT's in North Carolina where my sister lives. Um, I'll be up there in January. If you're still listening, BLT, I'll be up there in January right around the MLK holiday because that's my uh, my nephew Luca's birthday. So I'll be up there uh, in Charlotte. So if you're in that area, dude, we'll get up and get a beer because I can drink right now. I'm not training right now. So we can uh, we can have a beer. 
Uh, Nacho says, uh, don't lie, Mike. You just wanted to stick it to Ronaldo with La Pulga winning. Hey, you know what? I'm not even going to get into the Ronaldo versus Messi debate because I know that's like a really messy debate. Uh, no pun intended. Um, I'm not even going to get into that. I'm just happy for Messi. He got his World Cup. I, I, I look at France and I saw that like a lot of young players. I think they're going to be back. They're going to be back. They'll be all right. They'll be fine. I know Johnny calls in all the time from France. I know he's got to be mad at me because he knows I was going for Argentina. But come on. What do you want? What do you want? Of course I'm going for Argentina. All right. Back to the phones. Nacho, what's up? How you doing, man? Hey, Mike. What's going on? Uh, yeah, that was a hell of a game yesterday. Um, they showed it at my gym yesterday morning. And everybody stopped what they were doing to watch mm. that last like half hour, and then the penalty kicks. That that was in, incredible. Like I, that'll be the best game I've ever seen as far as a World Cup finale for sure. Um, <clears throat> with the uh, fights this weekend, Mike. Um, like I said, I called it. I just felt like Frank Martin was a level above uh, Rivera. I thought Rivera was a little bit of a guy who they maneuvered him correctly. They got him the right guys and he looked good against the right guys. But I just felt like Martin was the better guy and he proved it on Saturday. Um, Rivera was never able to make the adjustment of fighting a Southpaw. And it's really puzzling Mike, because he has a good guy in his corner with Rivera, with uh, uh, Herman Casado, the guy who trains Louis Ortiz. Mm. And I was just puzzled that they never figured out a way to get him to get away from Martin's left hand and kind of try to guide him into a different strategy once he saw that he wasn't going to be able to beat him the way he was fighting. You know, it was really weird, but all the credit to Martin. He completely outboxed him. Um, you know, he beat him easily. I was a little disappointed. I was kind of hoping he would have stepped on the gas a little bit and tried to take out Rivera to really put an exclamation point, but he just felt like it was uh, – too big of a lead to not, you know, to go out there and, and possibly let this guy hit a home run. So I, I kind of understand why he did it. But still, it was a great performance. Like you said, Mike, I think he becomes a player at 35. As far as, like, who he fights next, I'm going to be curious to see who the PBC comes up with because they are not very deep at 35. Mm -hmm. And I don't know who else that they have that they can legitimately match him up with. But it'll be interesting to see who he fights next. Um, the uh, other two fights, um, like you said, Mike, Shishkin's a decent fighter. But at the same time, how much credit do you give him for that win against Uskategi, considering yeah. that Uskategi got beat by Caleb Plant uh, almost four years ago? And since then, he hasn't won a meaningful fight. He's exactly. just fought a lot of guys and lost. So at this point, he's kind of become more of a journeyman, more than a legit contender at this point. So, I mean, you give Shishkin credit for winning the fight, but in reality, I'm not putting a huge amount of stock in, into him beating Muscatagi. Um, it'll be interesting to see who they um, put in, put in against uh, Shishkin uh, the next time he fights. Cause like you said, he doesn't have very heavy hands mm -hmm. and um, there's other guys in the division who might have better power than him. So I'd be kind of careful how you match him as far as trying to, you know, move him along in his career. Um, and then uh, I was actually going to talk about 
there was a card on Saturday afternoon, Mike, before the uh, Frank Martin card. Um, it was uh, two prospects that I've uh, heard about, and I kind of seen a few of their fights. And um, I was curious to see how they were going to fight this past weekend. The the first one was uh, Suleiman uh, uh, Cisco. He's a uh, he's a welterweight. He's um, from France. And he fought um, uh, Singula and I think it's Mbule. He's from South Africa. He he's a a pretty tough, rugged guy who has pretty heavy hands. And uh, Sissoko went out there and basically, you know, outboxed him, and, and he won a pretty uh, comfortable decision. But he did get you know kind of tested by uh, Mbule. So um, you know he looked good, and I think he can be a player at 47 because um, he's not that far away i think from being a contender because he's kind of up there he's 31 and he doesn't really need too many more fights i think he's going to be a contender sooner rather than later and then the other guy was uh christian and Billy. Right. he's another guy from france that um is a super middleweight and he fought devin alexander's older brother vaughn and oh, yeah. um, you know it was it was kind of a, a of a glorified sparring session because Von Alexander is a tough guy, but he's real limited. Yes. So Mbili just kind of used him as a punching bag and just punished him, and, and he won a pretty comfortable decision. I hope that uh, Mbili gets some shine at some point here in the U.S. along with uh, Sissoko. I think both of those guys, I think, can compete at the highest level, but it's going to be interesting to see if uh, their promoter decides to put them on here in America um, as the competition steps up. Uh, moving forward but I like both of those guys I think they're going to be two guys that are going to be um, people to keep an eye on uh, for next year and, and moving forward um, just real quick before I get off Mike are you going to do a Friday preview of the Tank Davis fight the, that Friday before mm -hmm. the fight or are we going to wait till I might I actually might do okay. that yeah I probably won't do TNC that week but I probably would do like a Friday show maybe before that it might be kind of fun it just depends on how things go with the yeah. family but I think I probably would ah okay yeah I was just curious because the fights that first Saturday and if there are no TNC then <laughs> no if we were going to talk about so yeah. uh that Monday after yeah so I was just curious about that all right Mike that was my call um uh talk to you in the, when that show comes up hopefully in january all right thanks nacho all right man yeah later all right did i miss anything in the chat or do we just keep this thing going i think we're caught up let's keep it going man let's go to ceylon in memphis i think he's in memphis tennessee 901 you're on the show what's up Mike, how you doing? I've got a couple of things to add about the uh, Donair and Inouye and 118. And then, you know, was hoping you'd answer that, and I'm going to be brief. Okay. I think it's, it's plain as day that Donair has shown he's a better fighter now than he was in his prime. He was not a two-fisted fighter in his prime. He is now. He's a two-fisted fighter with KO power in both hands. Uh, Nordin Ubali totally ground down Rache Warren. The quality of that fighter is ignored or unknown. Um, Donaire wasted him, just wasted him. And um, the Gabayo fight doesn't matter. Gabayo got the crap beaten out of him, one eighteen to one ten by um, by Manny Rodriguez. 
but they dropped him, and one of the judges even gave it 118-110 to Raymar Caballo. But Raymar Caballo, if you're very generous, won two of those rounds, just got punched up the whole time. But, you know, that that was a job. But, um, yeah, uh, Donaire is, he may be older, but um, he was he, he hasn't lost any mobility. He was never a quick, super quick-footed fighter. His timing is clearly just as good as it ever was. He's also a two-fisted fighter now where he was a one-fisted fighter before. He doesn't have the limitations he did in his prime. Um, he has all the weaponry he used to have in his prime. And he's got a decade of experience. That level IQ without diminishing skills, plus an added arsenal, and 10 years of experience. You know, that's like... That's like a genius level person going and getting, you know, a second doctorate. Mm-hmm. They're not done their cooking, you know. And um, but in a way, at one fifteen, well, he 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 wasn't able to fight anyone. He got in a way's first fight at one fifteen was uh, like December shoot twenty fourteen or something like that. Three months after his last fight at one oh eight. His first opponent was the number one guy there called Omar Narvaez. Omar, yep. Narvaez has lost one fight going the distance with Prime Donaire. And um, in a way, wasted him in the second round. Um, none of the Superfly guys was there yet. None of them. Um, Chocotito got there a year later, had a warm fight, and then fought... Um, Grissick had so wrong this side twice. That takes two of the main guys out of the picture. In a way, can't fight those guys while they're fighting each other. Uh, Quadra was kind of out of the picture. In and out, I don't know what was wrong with him. I think he went into rehab or something. Who knows? Um, what do you call it? I can't remember when um, when um, when guy, guy was trying to got there. But the, the thing is, the monster in a way at 115, he simply wasn't able to fight any of the top guys there. They were not available. Donnie Nietzsche's was a late arrival. Uh, oddly enough, he followed, Donnie Nietzsche's followed, um, what do you call it, uh, Chocolatito and Gaio Estrada up to 112 and up to 115. Yeah, he did get he did get to fight at Oka twice. But, um, yeah, so that's that. You can't really. I don't think you can hold it against uh, hold uh, Inouye's record at one fifteen against him, but you can count in favor that he wasted the very the top guy, the top dog at one fifteen in the second round for his first fight. Two weight classes up. That's pretty cool. Those those are all great points, and, man. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, and the one other thing about little guys and stopping power. Tons of have tons of little guys have one punch KO power these days. Didn't used to be the case. I don't know if it's day before weigh-ins or what, but until this era, you had uh, Bazooka Gomez, you know, mm. and uh, and now it's like lots of, them. you know, lots of them. So uh, anyway, uh, I was hoping you'd address some of that stuff, qualify it, add to it, refute it, or whatever. Thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Great stuff, man. Great stuff, Ceylon. Um, yeah, so, so 
I think he makes some very, very fair points. Okay. Um, let's start with Inouye at 115. So Inouye, I, I'm pulling it up here. He uh, he did go to 115 in 2014. First fight was against Narvaez, who he did flatten. And then he fought uh, there through 2017. So Estrada went up to two, 115. Uh, he actually had a couple, I think, fights there earlier, but it was just because he like missed weight for flyweight. He officially went up in 2016 to that division. So he was around for a couple years. And then let's see, we had uh, Wong Gek. Let me check on him. And then we'll check on, uh, we'll check on Chocolatito. Chocolatito went there in 2016 as well. Um, and then Wong Gek or Rungvi Sai, whichever you prefer. It's hard to tell with him because so many of his fights in Thailand, they didn't even track the weight, but he had been there since 2013, actually going back. Oh, he had been there for since 2010. So I'm not putting it a hundred percent on in a way that those fights didn't happen. I mean, it's, it's a two way street. Okay. I'm not trying to blame one person or the other. All I'm saying is they didn't happen. So I'm not holding it against in a way. The fact is, Quadras, Chocolatito, Estrada, Wongek, they all fought each other. And yes, maybe politics played a part in, in all of that. Fine. I do think that the promotion, though, keep it, keep this in mind. In a way, did fight on one of those super fly cards. I was there. Um, that was on September 9th of 2017. And Gonzalez and Rungvisai fought in the main event. That was, I think, the rematch where Gonzalez was knocked out. Estrada fought Quadras on that card, right? So they were setting things up there. Brian Valoria fought on that card. Wow, Sinicia Estrada fought on that card, too. I forgot about that. Anyway, um, so they were setting things up there where possibly, in a way, could get the winners of some of those fights. It never materialized, all right? Now, that was in 2017. Uh, to Inoue's credit, let's see, um, he fought one more time at 115, and then in 2018 is when he moved up to 118, to Bantamweight. So perhaps it was just too late to make it happen, not blaming him, but it didn't take place. And he fought almost exclusively in Japan. There was the one fight in America where he fought in that one Superfly card, and it was against Antonio Nevis. So that wasn't exactly... Um, it, it was his American debut, right? It, it, let's see. Nieves is, um, how has he done since? I'm just looking it up. He was coming off a loss when Inouye fought him. Inouye beat him, uh, dropped him around five, and Nieves' corner threw in the towel after round six. And he has had mixed results since, but he has not had a top win. I'm talking about Nieves since that time. Uh, he's fought a couple of top guys and he's lost every time. So, I do think you can question and criticize Inoue's resume at 115 and below because he fought almost exclusively in Japan. He did fight some top guys, made them travel. He did not get the, the, the legends, if you will, the, the top guys that are going to be Hall of Famers at 115. Not entirely his fault, not blaming it on him, but you have to partially include him in the blame, okay? it's it's a Two-way street. So all I'm saying is at 118, you cannot question Inoue's resume. He has fought absolutely everybody. 
at 118. He has completely cleaned out the division. He has unified the belts. And two of those fights, I should mention, were in America. One of them was in the UK. He fought in the tournament. So Inouye has done everything you could ask of him as a bantamweight. He didn't do that at 115 or below. Whether it was entirely his fault or not, you know, I'm not even trying to debate any of that. I'm just stating as a matter of fact, okay? Um, as it relates to Donaire, man, I, I lived in L.A., hanging out at the gyms. And, you know, Donaire was up the coast, right? He was up in the Bay. But just being in California, I was around for some of his fights. I've seen the guy train. Uh, Donaire did fight in, in um, L.A. a couple times. And um, I've seen him up close. He has lost a half a step. He's not the same guy he was a decade ago. Is he fighting smarter now? Is he using two hands? Is he fighting with better balance at times and things like that? Yes. I think his wife training him has actually been a blessing. It's helped him. He's been fighting and training smarter, living better between fights uh, as far as, you know, staying in shape and stuff like that. Um, 118 has suited him much better. He was fighting above 118 and he just was undersized against those fighters. When he went back down to 118, he looked better. However, I'm not going to sit here and try to convince anybody that the Nonito Donaire that Naoya Inouye beat this year is the best version of Nonito Donaire. It's not. It's just not. That's not a knock against Donaire. It's not a knock against Inouye. It, guys, Donaire is, is 40 years old. So I'm just trying to keep things in proper perspective. But Ceylon had a Good call made some fantastic points, fantastic points that I think are very, very relevant. And again, look, if if you guys, if there's people out there that want to rate in a way number one pound for pound right now, you'll get no argument from me. Like you could absolutely make an argument that he is the top guy. I just shade it to Usyk for the reasons I mentioned before. That's it. All right, back to the phones we go. All right, guys, let's let's plow through as many of these as we can. Uh, I think this is Hamed. Uh, 796, you're on the line. What's up? Yeah, hello. How's it going? Good. How you doing, Hamed? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I've got a couple of things to say about Inouye. I do think he's a top three pound for pound fighter. You could rank him too, but I, I would say when he fought, um, when he fought Donet, 20 he was, 22, Donay, I don't think, was ranked by anyone on the pound for pound list. But if you go back a decade ago, I think he was fighter of the year by Ring Magazine. And yes. He was on the pound for pound list, like quite high. So I do think uh, there is some context to it. But it's, nonetheless, it was a great performance. I would give him more credit for the first fight, personally. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I you know, I, I rate him very, very highly. But I just I, I give the edge to to another fighter. But you know, look, there's a lot of people out there that have in a way number one, and you can absolutely make that case because he's been so dominant recently. That and, and that counts. You know, a lot of people prefer uh, dominant performances over just getting the W, and in a way, has been dominant. I I would give Usyk more credit, but I, mean, I would too. Can reach. Yeah. He, I think moving up from cruiserweight to heavyweight. 
it's tough. I know it's the hardest thing to do in the sport. With, it, without question, yeah. it is the hardest thing to do in the sport, and it's criminally underrated how difficult it is. Yeah, and, and like people like to criticize Anthony Joshua now, but before that fight, majority of the people I spoke to all picked Joshua. Like it's funny how the narrative changes. I always thought Usyk was going to beat him. My only concern was the scorecards. I thought they might do what they did with Canelo Golovkin and some of those other fights where he ends in a draw. So I, I didn't think Joshua was good enough to beat him or even win the fight. But I thought they could maybe rob Usyk and score a draw and then it would be a rematch. But Usyk won like nine, maybe ten rounds in that first fight and then the rematch he won decisively. I think at the moment... Um, if you want to write a rank Nui number two, I think that's fair. I, I would probably drop Crawford. I think Crawford needs to fight better competition. Uh, the Porter fight was a good win, but if he's going to keep fighting guys like Aaron Nessian and uh, I don't know whoever he fights next, the lack of Spence, then it's hard to put Crawford that high. I think you could even put him lower than number three because I think Canelo, you could make a valid TC. Got a better resume than Crawford as well. Yeah, I think um, you'd have to say he does. Um, Crawford is a lot of Crawford's rating. I think is the eye test. But I'm with you. If the Spence fight doesn't happen in you know 2023, Crawford has to move up to 154 and fight somebody there. Um, and the same yeah. thing for Spence. I mean, Spence is going to move up. Yeah, you know his team is already planning that but um these guys need to just fight better opposition period yeah i i don't think spence has got the frame and the weight to move up to 154 and if charlo moves up spence is capable of maybe able to unify and win titles at 154 i'm not sure about crawford if he's big enough uh, i think he's good enough but i think that could be a step too far but i was gonna ask you one other thing you know with all these networks like uh I think when HBO went, I do think it affected American boxing. I know the last couple of years it went that great, but like if you go back to 2013-14, a lot of these fights that Showtime put on, like Mayweather, Guerrero, Mayweather, Brito, all the Medana fights, they weren't on HBO. Like A lot of the fights HBO used to make, um, I don't know if it's because they didn't align themselves with one specific promoter, but a lot of the fights they used to make were very good matchups. Like now with the Zone, ESPN, Showtime, was the Fox, uh, I don't think the matchups are that good. I, I'd say maybe Top Rank and ESPN have maybe been put on the best fights. I'm just talking about generally in America, but I don't know if that was a problem. I, I think there's too many networks, personally. Well, when you have this many platforms and they have dates they have fighters they gotta get them in the ring they gotta pay them yeah it's gonna water down the product and um i, I think we're seeing the effect of that I, I don't know if we can have this many platforms i just don't know i mean i i'm not a ufc guy but i imagine if ufc was on five different networks it'd be really really watered down too and that's what we're getting right now um, particularly in american boxing so my thought is in the next five years this is going to get sorted out in a certain way. At least I hope, because I don't know if like this current model is sustainable. I just don't. 
do you, do you think it doesn't help with the amount of weight classes and belts as well? Because yeah. I like I know people argue about the pound for pound list, but did see something earlier on as well. Like there's so many weight classes. Some people don't even watch about these weight classes in UFC. I think there's only eight. Uh, yes, I don't. I don't think that helps. I completely agree with you. I think the sanctioning bodies are smart. And they realized in the last 10 years or so that they need to get in business with the promoters. And that's basically what they're doing. A lot of these super belts and interim belts and regular belts, they are a way of staying in business with all the promoters in the same division. If you look at like the WBA, a lot of times they'll have titleists in the same division, but with different promotional platforms. And it's a way that they can kind of stay in business and have more fights going on more often. So it's all just part of the business now. And it justifies a lot of boxers taking second tier matchups. Cause now you can say, Oh, this is for a world championship, you know, but really it's for a regular belt an interim belt, but the casual fan doesn't understand that they just see championship fight. And they think, Oh man, my favorite fighter, Javante Davis, he's fighting for another world title. Oh, I got to check this out. So that's how they promote it. That's how they promote it. Yeah. One last thing I will say regarding Javante Davis. Do you think Ryan Garcia could be... I mean, this is a question for any boxer. You could have suspicion, but do you think he could be cycling off? I know there's some people going one way or the other extreme, but I was just thinking he pulled out a fight with Jorge Linares. I think it was uh, Fortuna last year as well. And there was a fight with Mauricio Hester as well. So... I'm I'm not sure what to believe. Like if you keep pulling out fights or postponing, unless he's being drug tested vigorously, like and we know how they are in boxing, I have a big suspicion. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people talk about that. It's all conjecture, you know, there's no evidence of it. Um I've never seen or heard anything that would make me suspect Ryan Garcia was doing anything inappropriate. But you know, fighters pull out of fights for different reasons. Um Errol Spence, I, I know. I'm just going to put this on record. He was not ready to fight in November. And it was actually his side that wanted to delay the fight until next year. That was a big part of it. Also the, the budget issues at uh, CBS uh, because he was just overweight. He, he wasn't ready to, to crunch down and, and make weight. Uh, he wanted to be able to take his time and do it more comfortably. So there, you know, the fights get delayed for that kind of a reason too. But yeah, with Garcia, I, listen, man, I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea, but um, I, I do know that a lot of these guys are doing things now. I'm, I actually am learning more and more about it. Even uh, as being a participant who's getting in the ring myself, there's things that I see at gyms and I hear guys talking and it's like, man, guys at the novice level and in the amateurs are doing stuff because I hear people talking. I've learned some things recently that really blew my mind just about how many guys that are just kind of weekend warrior types are doing stuff. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, there's a major problem with drug testing and boxing. It's it's an uh, every sport. Harder. Yeah, well, I'm just talking knowledge about boxing. It is, you know, you could say that in broader terms of other sports as well. But I do think in boxing, some people don't get tested throughout the year. So yeah. in a sport where, you know, people can get actually killed, I do think it's more detrimental. Absolutely. I mean, you could see the same for UFC. But yeah, I do think that is a problem. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Good <sighs> to speak to you and enjoy the holidays, man. Thank you, Ahmed. Same to you, brother.
Appreciate it. All right, like <clears throat> All right, let's go to oh, we got Thad. Let's go to Thad real quick, real quick. Uh Thad, what's up, brother? How you doing, man? Hello, Michael. I uh I see that you're catering to the size queen population now. <laughs> Do you like that? I have a bunch calling in. Dude, I, I was eating dinner again, and I almost gagged thanks to your uh, size queen comment twice. But it's true. So, it's true. Yeah. In more ways oh, than yeah. one. It is. <laughs> in more ways than one is right. So we'll just leave it there. But uh, Ceylon, he called earlier. He made a really good point about power punching and the lower weights. Now he's, he's correct. Um, if, if say Hagler was a fighter today, he'd be fighting at welterweight. Yeah. Okay. To keep it in perspective. Cause you have guys like a Devin Haney. He's about 150, 560 pounds on fight night. He's basically fighting at junior middleweight, middleweight. So if we could put that in perspective, you're seeing guys uh, today that should, you know, be fighting two or three weight classes ahead of where they're at. So, again, that's kind of why you see a lot of lower weight classes with more power. If, does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. I think it's a really, really great point. I, I do think with a lot of the smaller fighters, there has been a massive style change in the way that they're training now and the way that they're punching and turning over. I think the guys used to just bounce around like bumblebees a lot more back in the day. They're sitting down on their punches more. But I completely agree right. with you that uh, they're fighting at unnatural weights. And a lot of these guys, particularly in Latin America, you can buy weight cutters and all this different stuff over the counter. It'd be like going into a Walgreens. Exactly. And they do it, and it, it half-lifes out of their system in 24, 48 hours. They do exactly. it all the time. Yeah, and that's a problem. Um, I, I would rather just go to you know same-day weigh-ins for boxing again. And you know you can, you can eliminate that problem because then you, you really couldn't use the drugs you know, to cut weight and exactly. uh, it, it really would limit the playing field as far as certain fighters getting advantages. A lot of it has to do with, you know, with the money behind the fighter. I mean, they could afford to use the PEDs and, and get away with it. So let, let's just put it there that, that Marvin Hagler, if he was fighting today, he'd be fighting at welterweight, maybe even squeeze down a junior welterweight. That's pretty amazing. He That's was five nine, but uh, he was, yeah. But um, as far as, uh, you know, end of the year awards, Usyk by far, number one pound for pound, there's no question. Like you said, the hardest thing in boxing history was for a lighter weight fighter to move up to heavyweight and win the championship. Jimmy, um, Billy Kahn almost did it against uh, Joe, the great Joe, Joe Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how many light heavyweights have failed in, in that quest? Uh, Frazier beat one. Um, Holmes lost to one, you know, famously, but I thought he should have won the rematch. It just doesn't happen, okay? But when you, when you go to look at today's heavyweight division, which are behemoths, Usyk, what he did was unbelievable. I, I just still can't believe that he beat AJ in his back, in, basically in his promotion's backyard with every advantage. That in and of itself is just an accomplishment that it just doesn't get done in boxing. So, yes, he is pound for pound number one unequivocally. Fighter of the year, Dimitri Bivol, you know, speaks for itself. He beat the top contender at light heavyweight in a very, very underrated division. And Canelo, he, he upset Canelo as a, an underdog. There's nothing you can say about that. So those are, those are the two clear-cut winners, you know, in any kind of award end of the year, as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, again, it's just, um, it just goes to show that, that 
you know, the times, you know, how boxing has changed over the years and, and where we're at. We have to keep that in perspective. The fighters today, after the weight changes, I think it was in 80, 88, maybe that, you know, the same day weigh-ins went away. You have to weigh everything differently. And when you're grading a fighter on hall of fame and other awards and pound for pound, you really have to take the measurables into consideration what era they are in. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah. So again, with, uh, without too much redundancy, um, one thing I'll leave you with is this. And every year, you know, I want to, <laughs> I seem to call in at the end of the year about this, that it's a travesty that Nigel Ben and Darius Mikulczewski are not in the hall of fame. And when you're having this year, the voting, I'm, I'm imploring people to, to take a good hard look at the, the uh, omittance of certain fighters, and especially these two. Darius Mikulczewski was 48-0. He unified three light heavyweight belts. Okay, he beat Virgil Hill, who held two of them in a unification fight that goes under the radar. He beat Virgil Hill before Roy Jones did, after Virgil Hill beat Henry Mosk. And Henry Mosk was undefeated and a very highly rated fighter. And he beat him in his prime and, and a very clear win. So for him not to be in the Hall of Fame is, is a travesty when you have people that are coming up now, okay? Because Carl Frotch is going to get in the Hall of Fame. Frotch is not as good a fighter as Mikulczewski and Nigel Ben. Nigel Ben had one of the greatest wins in boxing history as an underdog against Gerald McClellan, most brutal fight I've ever seen at, at middleweight or super middleweight. That was an all-time win. And it was a tragic win, but it was still, it was unbelievable, okay? For that fight alone, he deserves it. But then he went over to America earlier in his career, knocked out Iran Barkley in mm-hmm. one round. Mm-hmm. Name me one fighter who did that. Yeah, Barkley was you a can't. badass. That, that, that's a very underrated win. Yeah. And he was, he was knocked down in that first round as well, and he stopped him. He knocked him down three times and got a technical knockout win because it was a three knockdown rule but he came to america and blitzed him he also came to america and beat another underrated fighter and not a lot of people are going to recognize this name except the hardcores and that's doug dewitt he stopped him in like seven or nine rounds i believe it, at middleweight for the wbo belt which wasn't you know it didn't carry the weight it does today but it was still a signature win in a, in a foreign land so you know, it, it's just, it, it's very embarrassing to not have those two fighters in the Hall of Fame. So I know people listen to your show and I, th- I know things get lost in the shuffle because everybody's concentrating on the now and people, there's not a lot of historians left in boxing. You know, it's all a lot of new wave guys and much respect. I mean, a lot of these guys do a good job, but when you're voting for Hall of Fame, you have to take a look at the predecessors. So there's no reason. These two fighters should not be in the Hall of Fame. It is a travesty and a miscarriage of justice. So, I, you know, again, I, I'd like to get your take on that. And if you got to get to other callers, they're stacking up, then uh, you could cut me off and I'll listen. Okay. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just say this. Um, it's they, they need to rename it the American Boxing Hall of Fame. It's not the International okay. Boxing Hall of Fame. There is crazy okay. underrepresentation of fighters from Asia, Eastern Europe, Africa. Um, they just, even UK guys that should be in there. Um, you know, like you mentioned with, with Ben and Mikulczewski, those are two guys that I think are very deserving, more deserving than guys who got in the ballot this year. But yeah, there's nothing I can do about it. 
I vote. And uh, unfortunately, it is what it is. All we can do, Mike, all we can do is raise awareness and, and just keep putting it out there. And maybe, you know, like the size queens, maybe they'll come out of the woodwork <laughs> and, you know, they'll, they'll come yeah. and join your show and they'll find yeah. out they're getting, you know, being talked about a negative connotation and they'll probably sue you. But, uh, you know, it's just like anything like, the, you know, you got to get the public publicity out there. So um, the last thing is, you know, Jalalov, someone mentioned uh, Torres before. Yeah, he got flattened in, in a fight. You know, and that was in the, uh, the world championships. It was an emphatic knockout. It was scary knockout. So mm-hmm. Torres coming back and going the distance in the Olympics was was a feat. But let's just put this in perspective. Uh, Jalalov lost to uh, Joe Joyce in the mm-hmm. Rio Olympics. Oh yeah, Joe Joyce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He lost to him in in the sixteen Olympics. So long ago, you don't think, but yeah. And and Joe Joyce did get ripped off in the in the uh, the final against Yoka. He should have got the gold. That's why we undersell Joe Joyce. And and we undersell the heavyweight division. There's a lot of talent in that division. Maybe the most in, a, in a, quite a while, since the early 90s. Um, but w- with, with Fury and Usyk at the top, then you have AJ and Joyce, two of the, of the strongest contenders out of any division. You know, neck and neck right behind. And then you have a solid base behind that. Otto Valin, a lot of people are going to laugh when, when I say that name, but just like I was hyping up Joe Joyce all those years previous, I'm telling you, Otto, Otto Valin is a problem. Okay. Mm-hmm. He has a great style. He's very cerebral. He's a, he, he takes a great punch. And if AJ does fight him next, don't be shocked. Don't be shocked if, if Valin puts up a better fight and actually, you know, loses a controversial decision in that fight because mm-hmm. he won't get a decision because. We all know why, but yes, he, he does have the tools to beat an Anthony Joshua. He, he would beat Deontay Wilder. He would beat Deontay Wilder silly. So whoever wants to put money on that one, go right ahead. Um, I know people are going to laugh because they just don't know, you know, what, what the deal is, but the heavyweight division today, it's a live division. I just hope we get the fights we deserve to see. So with that, Mike, uh, you know, have a have, have a ha- uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and uh, take it easy on those size queens, okay? <laughs> okay. Same to you, Thad. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right. There he goes. There he goes. All right. There is a super chat. I'm going to take one more call, guys, and then we're going to go. Um, I've gone long today. Um, my wife's going to be mad, but um, Papa Chubby, super chat. Thank you. He says, Mike, who do you like for trainer of 2022? Garcia? Yeah, you know, so I tweeted, uh, I think yesterday, it was over the weekend, or days are all blurring together, but I tweeted my uh, best of for 2022. And, you know, I for trainer, I think you can make a really valid argument for Derek James, but you can also make a really valid argument for Robert Garcia. You know, that particular category this year, I just don't know who else you'd put in there as a top candidate because. Um, a lot of the guys just didn't fight enough. When I look at the stable, I look at um, who fought who and who who's improved. I, maybe you have to edge it to Garcia. Really, though, it's, it's between those two. And it's what do you value higher? Do you, do you value the fact that uh, James has a guy that won undisputed and another guy that's got three of four belts? Or do you value that stable 
that Garcia has and how well some of his young fighters did this year, the marked improvement some of his guys have shown. I tweeted the other day and I tweeted for Derek James, but now thinking about it, you know, I probably would rate Garcia higher, but I don't, you really can't go wrong with either, either of those two. You really can't. So flip a coin and whatever you prefer, I'm good with. Uh, Super chat from Aaron Gortman. Thank you so much. Aaron says, love you, Mike. See you in 2023. Thanks, man. I love you too. I honestly, guys, uh, and that's why I want to do another, maybe we'll do another live where I come on and it, it may not be a Monday or a Friday. I might drop in here on like a Wednesday and just have fun and, and drink a couple beers with you guys and just talk life. We'll talk boxing, of course, but we'll talk about all kinds of stuff because I honestly, I really, really appreciate you guys for supporting the show and, and hanging out with you every week. It, it, it's, I think we've talked about this before, but it's, it's therapeutic when you're going through uh, you know tough things and, and I've been through some tough things in recent times, um, uh, both professionally and in, in my you know family life, my personal life. And you guys have just, this show, you guys have just been there uh, with me and it's just, it's been, it's been great, man. So, so thank you so much. But yeah, we ain't going nowhere. We'll be back in 2023. All right, one last call. I want to get Omar on because I know Omar called last week. And I'm sorry, dude. There's like 10 other calls online right now that I'm going to have to drop. Uh, but let's get uh, 201. You're on the show. What's up? You're the last call of the day of What's the year. Up, my brother? Last call of the year, Omar. Oh, man. Such a, such a, a heavy ah. burden. The, the weight is on your shoulders, my friend. So you got to make it good. Oh, I'll make it better than good, brother. You know that. <laughs> well, first off, I just want to say one thing. Uh, Corey Gibb, what the fuck? What the fuck? Who? I don't know if you saw the fight or not. Corey Gibbs, the fight. Did you see Corey Gibbs fight uh, Jimmy first? No. No. That, that just happened this weekend. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that's the first time I've seen an undefeated, undefeated fighter lose his record because his mouthpiece or gum shield kept flying out. Which was hilarious within itself, but yeah, basically that happened after I had that scare with the Teofimo Lopez fight. Uh, which, um, just to touch on that real quick, um, this guy needs to faint more and add something to his arsenal if he's going to continue fighting because I do not see him beating guys like Progress. I guess that's the next one that that's on his plate. Which will be a good fight, but he's gonna have to step it up. But um, yeah, that happened. Uh, let's see. Um, I just want to say, Enuene um, is probably gonna be here for a while because I don't see anybody being this guy. I mean, I watch this, bro. I cringe watching this guy land body shots. Mm. Like it's like like I'm watching it. The guy get blasted with these shots, and it's like I'm feeling it. Like he, the dude is a beast. He's just a beast. And he's going to have a long, successful career. God willing, like he stays healthy. And, yeah, he's going to be around for a minute. But um, that's a one thing. Uh, I got to respectfully uh, kind of disagree with, like, the last caller's assessment of, like, fighter of the year. Um, Dimitri Bevel basically pulled off something that people didn't expect him to pull off. But um, guys like me kind of, like, like if you don't know if you didn't know who Dimitri Bevo is, like I'm sorry to tell you, but that's kind of like your problem because in any other weight class, I'd say Bevo will probably be the underdog, but Canelo was the underdog in that fight for me. 
because I know how Dem- I know what who Dimitri Bebo is, and I know that Canelo stepping up to take that challenge that wasn't going to be something that he was going to pull off easily if he was going to do it at all. But that was, I mean, it was a good fight. I see them fighting again. Um, to be honest with you, I think um, Canelo probably will do better. I wouldn't be surprised if he won the beginning round. But I don't, I see people winning again, to be honest with you. Yeah, I do too. Um, the reason I say that is because I think Devin Haney deserves that title uh, as far as this year, as far as like unifying the belts, um, going to Australia, beating Cambosis, uh, doing it twice. Um, I, uh, I'm under the assumption right now that we're going to, that Devin Haney is going to, I'm sorry, Tank Davis is going to take care of business with the fight that he has. So was Ryan Garcia. Now that fight is going to be very, very interesting. It's going to be very exciting. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't see Davis losing to anybody right now. Hmm. I think that's another one that's going to be undefeated for a minute because Ryan Garcia is a great fighter and everything. And I understand that Davis does get hit, but so does Garcia. And I just think Davis is is a, is a special fighter right now. Now I think I think Tank Davis's biggest challenge right now will, will be with Devin Haney. To be honest with you. Um, what about Stevenson? What about we Shakur Stevenson? That. Well, Shakur Stevenson. That's uh, what I was going to bring up. Also, the thing with Shakur Stevenson is like his last fight was I can't remember the guy's name. I saw the fight. Um, Stevenson, I I think came in uh, overweight, if I'm not mistaken. That um he had to like basically drop down again. Stevenson is a good fighter. He, he, trust me, he's from Jersey, he's from Newark, he's from Bridge City, that's from my area and everything. But I don't see him beating Devin Haney. I don't see him beating St. Davis. I see him putting up a great fight and giving them a lot of problems, but. I don't see him beating Devin Haney right now. Okay. I don't see him beating Tank Davis. I think ultimately what we're going to see is probably Devin Haney versus um, Tank Davis in the future. And, oh, that fight will be bonkers. Hmm. And to be honest with you, I, I like Devin Haney a lot, but I don't, I don't see anybody beating Tank Davis right now for a long time. I'm just going to keep it real. You, him in the way is going to be one of those two fighters that, in my opinion, are going to stay undefeated for for quite some time. And um, yeah, dude, basically that. Um, trying to figure out what else I was going to say. Mike, are you a Detroit Lions fan? Yes, by default. You are right because you're from. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, of okay. course. Well, I'm, it just so happens I'm a Vikings fan. And oh, shit. I was laughing my ass off when when we played each other um, the the week prior to this one because you guys beat us. That was great. And we just pulled off. Yeah, and you guys just beat the New York Jets. Yep. Six <laughs> of seven, my ass bro. Off Six I'm, I'm of seven. Dude, and I was, dude, I was going to take, um, what was it? So I took the Lions over my Vikings, to believe it or not, because I, I know that you guys are playing better. And you guys actually won. But then I took, I almost took the Colts over my Vikings for some reason. And then I said, okay, you know what? I'm taking my Vikings over the Colts. And they just pulled off, pulled off the greatest comeback in NFL history. 
don't know if you saw that, that game. Fun, it was yeah, like I saw, 33 to nothing. I saw the ending. I saw oh the ending my. of it. Yeah, that was great, man. The yeah, Vikings dude. are fun and this year, bro. Have, I, the Vikings are a lot of fun to watch bro. this year. Yeah. No, they are they are single handedly one of the reasons that NFL is so entertaining to watch this year. I mean, Justin Jefferson is a beast. Hmm. This is it's insane. But I say that because I went through hell with that Vikings game in the Colts. <laughs> and then that Teofimo Lopez fight, I had them all in the same parlay. And this Corey Gibbs fight messed everything up. Because this guy kept spitting his mouthpiece out for some, some reason. Like, I've seen undefeated fighters lose because they took the opponent too lightly. But to lose in that fashion, I mean, come on, bro. Come on. What the fuck? But, yeah. Um, listen, bro, I'm not going to take up too much of your time because I know exactly what you're going through. I'm not sleeping at all. You already know the situation. So, I'm going to wish you and yours a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Same all, to you, bro. All the listeners, all the callers. I love you guys. I'll definitely keep calling back. And yeah, man, you already know. All right, Omar. Thanks a lot, brother. Have a good one. All right, there he goes. We got a few super chats and then we're out of here, guys. We almost went two hours. I told my wife, ah, about an hour. She's going to, she's going to slap me. I'm just joking. Kind of. Okay. (laughs) Super chat from one foot out the door. He says, happy holidays. Same to you, my brother. Thank you very much. Sam A with a super chat says, uh, what about Rig Magazine shutting down? Yeah, dude, that was uh, a sad, sad thing. Um, the the magazine is no more. I got the last issue right here. I will be moving on to a new role with a new platform, and uh, that will kick off January 1st. So we will talk about that in the new year. I've already been contributing on the back end. And uh, getting some things set up. For those of you who follow me on Twitter and have kind of just watched some of the things I've tweeted and retweeted, you guys can probably figure out where I'm going. But um, more to come with that. But yeah, that was a big deal this year, man. That was uh, history, history. CJ Duncan, what's up, my brother? How you doing, man? He said, I saw you on the line, bro. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He said, a great show. I'll hop in the call log earlier. Happy holidays, fight fans. Be safe and be blessed. And same to you. Same to Vicky and your little one on the way. Uh, get ready to not sleep, my man. Get ready to not sleep. You know, people said that to me. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. And now here, here I am in the middle of it. And now I'm like, okay. All those statements, all those cliche jokes that I didn't quite understand or didn't quite absorb before, I get it all now. Anyway, guys, uh, this last show of the year, it's been awesome. Thank you for all your amazing calls and your amazing comments, all the super chats, all the support of the show, all the MOB t-shirts you guys bought that we sent all over the place. You guys have been freaking awesome. It's been a wonderful, wonderful year. And 2023 is going to be even better. I mean, honestly. So um, just uh, keep supporting the show, man. Keep supporting the show. And we'll keep doing our thing here. And uh, it's going to be better than ever. All right, guys. Happy holidays. We will talk soon. I promise. Be safe. And call your loved ones. Be around the people that you love as much as you can. Cherish them as much as you can. And I'll see you at the fights. All right? Peace.